Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Welcome to the latest episode of Founders in Asia. We're very, very excited today to be welcoming Ria Lau, who is the founder and CEO of Groupstar. Welcome, Ria. Hi, Jody. How are you? Great. I'm great. Thank you. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for inviting me to this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful to have you on here. So, uh, yeah, so we were, we were actually just having a quick chat before and talking about some of your, your story about where you're from. And, and so, uh, you know, that's what we want to explore. Uh, this is still, we're still, uh, at the, in the fairly early stages of starting out the Founders in Asia podcast. And what we are exploring is the interesting stories of people who are either from somewhere in Asia or who have moved here uh, from Mm. somewhere else. And we want to hear their stories, both the the business story as well as the personal story about how they decided to uh, leave their jobs, start a business, and then the, you know, the journey that they've gone through with that. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So great to have you here. Exciting. Great. So, yeah, what I want to start with then is just, first of all, uh, if you can give us your story, how did you uh, end up here in Singapore and uh, how long have you been here and where are you from? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, so I'm a bit of a mutt. So I was uh, born in the Philippines. I moved to Canada, uh, went to school in Canada. I've worked in, in Canada. I actually come from corporate. So um, that's another side story. But I, I worked in uh, L'Oreal, Procter & Gamble, did that for a bit, and then moved to Singapore about six years ago. Um, and now I'm in tech. So, so that's kind of the general context. <laughs> right, right. Oh, that's interesting. So your background in the corporate world wasn't in tech and you've made a move into that. No, not at all. So I do not know how to code um, <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah. I am not very technically inclined uh, in terms of that. I'm a classically trained marketer, uh, so coming from the consumer goods side and, you know, was was uh, uh, trained with the old school way of marketing, uh, pretty much learned about digital because of personal interest and, right. and also, yeah, so, so kind of, you know, looking for opportunities in that area and kind of forged a path um, that way. Um, but yeah, not... I'm not a tech person who right, decided right. to start a tech company. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good for you. Good for you. Uh, but, uh, yeah, coming from a background like uh, P&G, uh, you know, the strongest marketers in the world, so what a fantastic grounding before starting your own business. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so maybe if you can just tell us a little bit about uh, what Groupstar is and what, uh, what you do. Sure. So Groupstar helps, you know, really large organizations with distributed teams around the world um, transform what would be very traditional types of comps like an email or a PDF or like a static memo into an engaging video experience, just Mm -hmm. using an, you know, easy to use mobile app a recording solution and a web app and a web storyboard platform. Mm -hmm. So it's designed for Everyone outside the marketing team, essentially, uh, inside an organization. Right. And so this idea, how did you come up with the idea in the first place? So there, there really wasn't one like large aha moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that to be a theme just throughout my entrepreneurial experience. It was, it was more of a, how, how do I call it, um, discovery process mm-hmm. with with existing customers that we had already for a different solution um, that for, we... For, 
for yeah, an existing for an existing yeah. part of your own business. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. Yeah, so um so basically so Groupstar is a product uh that we have a new product we've launched in the market, but mm-hmm. Precision Bit is the holding company and we've always done, you know, B2B solutions. Um right. essentially marketing solutions uh that we sell to to large companies. Yep. So at the time and this was about uh you know, late uh, 2016, you know, we, uh, our main product was an analytics solution that essentially analyzed images and videos that were posted on social media, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was inspired to essentially look at the other spectrum, uh, apart from analytics, but, you know, look at creation, the creation space, um, just, you know, out of random inspiration and, uh, started to evangelize, you know, the hypothesis of the idea with our existing customers, because I saw that there really was a market need for an easy to use creation solution Mm. um, for content. So, um, and it wasn't this just one, you know, large, you know, aha moment. That was not the case at all. It took a couple months um, and a lot of conversations to really understand where is the real opportunity? You know, what sectors should we go after? And then from there, just yeah, tested the idea. Um, mm. And um, yeah. And so did you find then as you were, I guess, pivoting to this new execution or this new this new way mm. of working, focusing on developing or helping companies turn content into video, mm. is that building on the existing product offering that you have, was it quite different? Mm, that's, that's a really good question. So it was kind of a bit of both. So we've always been in the visual content space. Um, that's always been, you know, the space that has interested us uh, mm-hmm. as a company. Um, but now instead of analyzing that, we decided to look into the creation space because um, it was just a constant thing that we heard from from the partners that we were working with. It's, it's you know, they don't have these tools or easy to use tools that people in the company could use and people who aren't usually, um, you know, professional marketers or professional designers. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, I guess, a bit of both. Mm. Yeah, I'm really interested in this idea because... Uh, you know, the, the question of when to pivot is such a key question for so many founders. Oh, yeah. And, you know, having gone through it myself as well, you know, you, mm-hmm. I think you're always thinking, oh, is this, is this the right area I should be focusing on? I can see there's uh, me personally as well. I sort of look yeah. around and go, oh, my God, there's opportunity everywhere. <laughs> Absolutely. It's the curse of the entrepreneur, right? Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> exactly. Everything is a shiny thing, right? Absolutely, and, and yeah. How do you know what's the right signal? No, I, I totally hear you. And and I know we've we've had some of these conversations in the past, and, mm-hmm. and it's such a scary thing, and, and not a lot of people talk about it because um, – in many ways, it could cause a, a crisis of confidence <laughs> mm. if you want to move in a, in a totally different direction. Um, so I guess it's more of, I always look at it as a process. You know, are, are, is, are there enough data points? Are we mm. hearing it from enough people uh, and not just from existing partners that we already have good relationships with, but also, you know, other folks in the company who are, are giving a little bit of a clue. So, so that's, it's, mm. it's not one, you know, single moment, but yeah. I would say a collection of a lot of different moments. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then are the two products 
then the or the different offerings I should say in your business do they do they connect together or are you really just focusing on the new offering now yeah that's that's a really good question so there was a transition stage where because we had existing customers that we were still servicing with the um, old product which is the analytic solution right uh, for visual content mm. so so that was still going but then when we got you know just a ton of traction with the creation solution, I had to make a strategic decision, um, basically. And this mm. was about uh, early last year. I had to just make a call and say, all right, you know, being a startup, we have limited resources. So yeah. someone has to make that call and uh, yeah. just decided to go all out um, in the area of creation, which I think is a lot more exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is this is interesting. You're, I completely agree. You know, you've got limited resources uh, you can't be scattering them across lots of different areas. You do need to, as difficult as it is, mm-hmm. choose to focus in on something. And I think it's not just about the, the, you know, having a clear product offering for your customers. It's also having a clear vision for your team. Because mm-hmm. I, I was talking to someone about this last week, as someone I knew who had worked for a startup and they decided to leave because the founder kept changing constantly what the product offering was. It sounded like it was something, you know, it it was, uh, you know, it wasn't just like one pivot. It was constantly right. moving from one thing to the next to the next. And finally mm-hmm. these, the, um, you know, the team just got a bit sick of it because it felt like they were always moving. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a combination of then looking at, yeah, definitely where's the market opportunity uh, and focusing on, on that with, um, with some... Yep. No, I completely agree with you. And I suffered from that myself, you know, because like you said, you know, being the founder, being the the visionary in a way, you all you get to see a lot of things that, you know, other people in the team likely don't. Um, And a lot of this comes from, you know, I guess a mix of experience, intuition and just having your brain put everything together, which which a lot of the times is is very hard to communicate in the early stages. iteration of an idea. So I, I've, and I think one way around that, which I've had to learn, um, was to be able to identify what to share and what not to share at different points in time, mm. both with your team mm. and with your stakeholders, you know, whether that's, um, investors, advisors, or even existing customers. So, I mean, I, I tend to look at it in terms of milestones. Um, you have the big vision, but, uh, it requires a lot of discipline and self-restraint to figure out what parts of the vision to communicate at each point in time because sometimes it scares people. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, so it's because you need to bring people on the journey with you. You exactly. need to have them committed to the the overall idea. Uh, exactly. Yeah, give them the sense of comfort that you're sticking with something that you're aiming for. And a lot of the times, right, there are things that you're unsure about. Like, same with me. Like, I, you know, um, mm. you have the vision, you know, you know, let's say you want to go in this totally new direction, which was not what you communicated to uh, everyone on the team, you know, two months before. Fine. Um, but you could do that. You could communicate that vision in stages so that people still are able to absorb that. Um yeah. Not really <laughs> yeah. scare them <laughs> and then slowly take them on that journey with you. Okay. Yeah. That's really interesting. And so can I ask then as you're, then you're 
looking at this this new offering, you're thinking, uh, okay, this this actually might be a pivot that makes sense to focus more on the creative side of things. Uh, you're talking to customers. How much of this is, uh, you know, uh, is backed by data points versus gut feel, do you think? Mm. That's a really, really good question. So at the beginning, um, you know, when you get the initial seed of, of that idea, um, and I believe an idea usually comes from the founder's mix of, uh, it's kind of like intangible data points that you observe in the market, mm. um, but can't really quantify. Um and a mix of gut feels. So it's kind of like the subconscious, right? It has to come from somewhere. But that subconscious is a mix of market signals that no one else really sees. Um, so I think that's the start where it's a lot of gut. But then eventually, as you test pieces of it out, it's based on data, mm. right? So, so the, the validation and the testing, that's all based on data. But the origination, I think, is always from gut. Mm. So you, you're based here in Singapore. So, yes, yeah, yeah. sunny Singapore. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so are you working across uh, other markets in Asia? Or what's your geographic coverage like? Yeah, great question. Um, the great thing about, and the, part of our strategy uh, to remain in Singapore essentially is because a lot of the companies we work with are regional MNCs. So mm. um, mostly in the services space. So we're talking telcos, you know, financial services, um, technology companies, etc. So a lot of them have their regional headquarters in Singapore. Mm. So that makes it really easy for us to, you know, target and, and win those accounts because then we can see them face to face, etc. I mean, that's our initial launch point. What we've found was that because what we offer is a tech-based solution, um, it's being used by, you know, their teams in different countries. Mm. So, so that's been a really great benefit uh, in terms of how we scale. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's interesting. So then you're leveraging the regional offices here to then gain access to teams across the region. Absolutely. And, yeah. and that has been a, a really good strategy for us um, in terms of scaling with Within the company, mm. so you know, putting in the legwork to to meet people on the ground here. But then, once you do enough um, uh, good work uh, with the folks that are based here, then that just spreads like wildfire to mm. to the rest of the organization, regardless yeah. of where they are. Right, right. And and where are you seeing the greatest opportunities across the region? Um, you know, honestly, I think. Well, the early adopters are always in Singapore or Hong Kong and Australia. So, so those are, you know, when, when we target a new account, usually the teams based in any of those three countries would be the first one to try out Groupstar. Mm. Um, and then eventually you start to see countries like Malaysia, Indonesia, Japan, you know, when they see um, other teams use it, then it becomes an easy cross-sell. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. So you mentioned Japan in there as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, do you have operations in any of those other markets or are you running it all from here? Right now it's all from here. So, uh, but we definitely plan to set up satellite uh, sales offices in, in other markets where we see, you know, a bunch of our users are, are based out of. Okay, great. And then uh, are you finding that, are there any, just wondering if, uh, technology take-up has a direct impact then on the opportunities for you across these different markets and what uh, challenges or opportunities you might be seeing? You know, um, 
in terms of, and, and I hear it a lot, right? I hear uh, a lot about how um, sometimes it's a challenge to sell technology to um, less developed markets. I'm not sure if that's your question. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was thinking about it either from a business perspective, selling it in, or even, mm. uh, uh, I guess, with your clients, then the you know the demand for it in terms of how mm. they're selling it to their customers or how right. they're using it with their customers. What what we're find, what we're seeing is that there's actually um, there's been there's not there hasn't been a lot of resistance to be mm. honest. Um, there hasn't been a lot of resistance because. Uh, the way that we approach it is, you know, look, it's a whole solution. Technology is just an enabler at the end of the day. Mm. And I think that's that's really a key thing um, to understand. And, I mean, depends on the industry, right? So we deal a lot with financial services. So then you have questions around, okay, this is based on the cloud. You know, how safe is that? Yeah, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> yeah compliance <laughs> you know, and issues. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and that's just, I guess, part of it's just part of the process. Um, a lot of the times they have to ask that question um, just because of the industry that they're in, but it really isn't a deal breaker. So um, so I guess we've been kind of lucky in that way. And also because, you know, the solution isn't doesn't really touch on customer data, right? right. It's, it's essentially a production slash creation solution. So we're not going to be touching any customer data. Most of the data that we'd be touching is, you know, the employee's email address because they need to log in the application to record a video. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's really the level, the, that's the, the maximum level of information that we get to. So it's not from a risk standpoint, from a, you know, compliance standpoint, even from a technology standpoint, um, we have we we didn't have to deal with uh, any right, of these right questions. yeah and yeah. actually then maybe let me just clarify about the product offering then because mm-hmm. uh, are you using this as a way for or, or a company's your, your clients using this as a way for them to turn uh, internal information into video for their employees or for yep. their customers primarily yeah and in many ways yes so you know what typically would be uh, a company memo right mm. that a managing director would send out to a thousand um, employees who never read email mm. essentially. Right. So, so that's kind of the pain point that we help solve is folks are really busy. We have the attention span of a goldfish. Yeah. Uh, if you're writing a 500 word essay or a two page data fact sheet, the likelihood that that's going to get read and absorbed is really, really low. Mm. So, so, um, that has really resonated in industries like financial services, um, technology, you know, even pharmaceutical, where they have really intangible and complex products, and and they're looking for a way to transform what would be a traditionally dry static email or report into uh, a nice engaging video. Mm. So what we provide are tools to help them do that really easily internally. Um, an example is, you know, we have an application on a smartphone that is preloaded onto their corporate phones where they're able to record different short clips. And that's powered by a web-based storyboard application where you can essentially create storyboards and preload scripts for people to read uh, as they're recording the video on their phone, et cetera. Mm. Um, And then that gets put together so that it has your brand logo, subtitles, so that the output is still quite, um, you know, 
high quality. Right. It's not a, yeah. it's not an ad. It's not meant to be branded content. Yeah. Um, and therefore, you know, this is for the 85% of the organization who's not in brand marketing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're talking about sales. We're talking about the lawyers. Even we're talking about uh, the trainers. We're talking about operations. We're talking about products who um, are looking for ways to, to communicate more creatively. Right. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So these videos are used for internal comms and right. external comms and even training. Yeah, yeah, because I was wondering about that because certainly what we've seen from a consumer perspective is an explosion in demand for video across mm-hmm. the region, across across markets. Uh, at the same time, there are still some infrastructure issues in some of the emerging markets uh, which make it a little bit more difficult to access uh, high-speed data. Right. Uh, so I was just wondering about this from the perspective of, okay, you see creating video content. Uh, mm-hmm. How does that work in some of those more emerging markets? But it sounds like it's actually primarily used more for internal purposes, and so therefore the expectation would be most would be on an internal network anyway, so they wouldn't yeah. have those issues. That's that's a speed. really great question. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. So I mean, let's say for uh, folks in Indonesia, right? Like mm-hmm. if if they can use their phone to to watch a YouTube video uh, and download an application and uh, post an Instagram story, then that's basically the same type of bandwidth mm. that you would use to to record a video and, and upload. Um, and re- the recording part of it is really can be done offline, right? So yeah. it's the yeah. it's the uploading piece where um, our team has done a really great job to make sure that the application is is uh, is developed in a way that it it maximizes that, so that mm. the videos don't get compressed and regardless of of the uh, of the strength of, of data or Wi-Fi, you know, you still get, you know, pretty much the um, um, the delivery of it is still, yeah, it's still uh, good. clear, yeah, yeah, and clear exactly, yeah. So yeah, okay, great. Uh, so I just want to talk to you a little bit then about as you so you developed the idea and you pivoted the business. Uh, you know, that I'm really interested in hearing about the journeys that founders mm-hmm. have been through from first of all coming up with the idea, then building a team. Uh, usually there are some challenges along the way, uh, you know, before then moving on to more successful times. I was wondering if yeah. there was anything that you, you know, f- throughout your journey, if there are any uh, stories that you can share with us, things that you've learned which might be helpful for others to hear about. Uh, as they go through their own journeys. Oh gosh, Jody, how much time do you have? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a pretty big question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, I pretty much did everything you're not supposed to do. So, <laughs> um, well, good way to learn. <laughs> yeah. So everything that they said you're not supposed to do, I, I, it's easy to look that up. I pretty much did all of that um, all right, in maybe a span give me of a top, year. Maybe give me your top three. oh my goodness um yeah so sometimes it it still surprises me like how how you know how all this came about because we pretty much did everything wrong uh from the beginning everything that a first-time founder would do wrong from you know even like initial team formation right so Mm -hmm. uh going into business with the right people um not just um, you know, randomly picking folks that you think it might be interesting to do business with, but actually having some history with those folks and uh, uh, understanding, you know, domain expertise and, and what people can contribute on a personal capacity. So do you mean um, having having worked with these people before? 
The, yeah, I think that helps. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. not everyone has that uh, luxury, right? Because mm. that's that's really rare. Um, and the same for me, you know, so, so that's really rare. But uh, and I also think that when that doesn't exist, you know, having enough confidence to to go at it by yourself, um, which is not really often talked about, but I think it's it shouldn't be frowned upon. Mm. Um, and it's not really necessary. Uh, it's it's not a popular opinion, by the way, what I'm supposed to say, but um, it's Great. not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> we want to hear the honest truth. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's for me, uh, and, and this can vary depending on the product and the industry, um, I don't think it's necessary to have a co-founder mm. uh, to, to go into business, right? I think if you have enough domain expertise, if you have enough business acumen, you could absolutely go at it yourself. Um, and so that really shouldn't stop people from doing anything um, mm. if you don't have a partner in crime. Yeah. So, um, but I think that it takes a while to get to that realization because it's a very scary process to get started, even to just kind yeah. of, yeah. you know, even take that large leap. So um, having that mm. person beside you to, to take the jump often can get really comforting, um, but it's not necessary. Yeah, it, that's really interesting. You know, when I started my business, I, I, I looked a lot into this about whether I should actually find a co-founder. I, I was the same as you, was starting this business on my own. And, you know, sometimes I look back over the last two and a half years and think, oh, it would have been great to have had the partner to, to you know, share the ups and downs with and and bounce ideas off but I was very lucky in forming a, a fantastic team plus I have a you know a partner in life who was uh, someone who was able to share things with but I did a lot of research into whether you should have a founder it's so interesting how many podcasts and books and blogs are written about yes you must get a co-founder you can't do this on your own but I, th- I completely agree with you if you have the domain expertise unless you really you know, you're coming from a business background and you, you are absolutely building out a tech product which must require sophisticated levels of development knowledge, maybe then. But otherwise, I, I'm with you. I, I don't think it's absolutely necessary. I totally agree, 100%, right? So, um, and a lot of the times there's the, uh, and I understand, you know, where that uh, thought is coming from, the pressure to have a technical co-founder, you know, and don't even think of starting a tech company without one. I don't know. I, I'm I'm not really a believer in that. I mm. think that technology is an enabler, um, and I think that once you understand how the technology serves your product idea, then you it's not necessary to have like a super technical co-founder at the beginning, at least. Mm. You know, down the line, um, sure. You know, having a partner always helps, but just to get started, I don't think that it's it's mandatory. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So, what then? You you built out your team. Yes. Um, so that's another thing, right? So, how do you? Uh, one other <laughs> common <laughs> belief that I try to uh, dispel um, is that uh, you know, to build out a team, to get started, to do any sales, you need to have uh, investor money upfront, mm. um, and that it's it would be really it would be impossible to, to not be able to do that otherwise. So um, I'm not sure I believe that as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that, um, I think that there's lots and ways of means, you know, around building a very lean team, you know, whether that's using interns or part-time help or, or contract workers and getting it to a point where you're able to sell 
a solution um, and do that repeatedly. And only then, once you understand the economics and, and the go-to-market and, and um, how this is actually going to make money, do you then look for uh, people to invest in the company? Mm. Um, but I don't think that, you know, having investors at the beginning is a prerequisite. So, so at least that's the approach that I've taken um, for all my entrepreneurial ventures. And mm. that may be true uh, for everyone for everyone and for every product like for sure um but but yeah so so yeah that's that's pretty much how I got started uh, using existing resources <laughs> right yeah yeah and then so how big is your team now so now we have five folks uh in Singapore um and that's around uh product and uh sales right right and are you using any talent in other markets to support? oh yeah sure yeah yeah Right. Gosh, yeah, it's, it's going to be too expensive otherwise to, to run the operations, just uh, having a labor fully based in Singapore. So our technical folks are, are not based in Singapore mm-hmm. um, for now. Yep. So that has allowed us to really lower our cash burn um, and mm-hmm. uh, just help us move uh, a yep. little bit quicker. Which is absolutely you know a common theme across everyone that I'm talking to. A lot of the technical work is being handled in other markets, whether it's Uh, teams in the Philippines or in India, Mm -hmm. Uh, so various uh, areas of expertise sort of being uh, handled by different markets actually, not just the technical two, I should say, Mm -hmm. it's the, the, oh, oh, I'm sorry, sorry, Mm -hmm. Uh, it's the marketing as well. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, I think that that makes a lot of sense. It seems like there are a lot of founders who, uh, who are setting up businesses here. Singapore is such a wonderful environment to be starting companies, you know, the the government's really supportive, uh, I've certainly been able to take advantage of some of the grants that they help for sure. uh, small business with here as well. Uh, so between you know building a team here, which is your core team, and then managing it across other markets, it seems to be like the barriers to entry are much lower than ever before. Yeah, absolutely, and that's really the great part um, of being in, in Singapore. It's it's just you know having that kind of access and that kind of support is. It's it's just it just helps makes everything really easy, you know. And, and mm. building a business already is, is difficult, so um, having that kind of government, whether it's government support um, or even access to customers, it just helps uh, get off the ground. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And then, uh, so you were mentioning before about uh, when I was asking about growth across the region, and that mm-hmm. actually the the initial step for you is to look at um, moving into other markets through the clients that you have mm-hmm. regional teams you have access to the regional teams here which makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. uh what about in terms of the greatest level of opportunity uh mm-hmm. you know where are you seeing uh really interesting growth for your business uh if it's not through clients in those markets you know where do you think it's is it really exciting oh wow that's that's a really good question um we're seeing, and strangely enough, we're seeing a lot of demand in Indonesia. It's strange, mm. hey, for for like, and I wouldn't even think that, um, you know, a tech, an enterprise tech solution, um, that wouldn't be my natural inclination. Um, Japan as well. Um, we've seen just the take up in terms of the teams that are based in Japan. Usually, they're the ones who really love video. Um, and, uh, I don't know if that's a cultural thing, but they just love it. (laughs) Mm. Um, and absolutely Australia. And that one is, I'm sure is a cultural thing. Everyone, everyone loves to be on camera. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, us shy, retiring Australians. (laughs) Oh man, that is not true at all. So, um, (laughs) 
we find that whenever we work with teams who are, you know, obviously the, the company is, is regional, but then the teams who are based in Australia, they're usually the ones who are the first to set up a project on the platform and to try it out. So, mm. and that's been a constant theme throughout all the different companies that we work with. Right, right. That's interesting. I wonder if there's a cultural element to it. I wonder if, as well, if, uh, for instance, in Indonesia, you're seeing a demographic element to it because there is such a young population there. Is that impacting the use and take up, do you think? Do you know what's really surprising? Um, and and this, is, this really surprised me. So I thought that we were building a product for the millennial employees. Mm. We were completely wrong, completely wrong. So really? Absolutely. And I, this shocked me and it still shocks me. So I thought, you know, um, that it would be the Gen Zs and, and, and those guys who are the Snapchat happy folks uh, who would be loving this. Yeah. Completely wrong. It's the senior management. It's, you know, it's executive leadership and, and those guys who are experts in their fields. Because what I realized was the problem that we were actually solving is all of a sudden, folks who are at the top of their careers now have an easy way to um, talk about their expertise and to and to and to basically leverage a medium that was too difficult for them to use historically right right yeah so that was a surprise <laughs> that, that is a surprise actually I would have definitely thought when you were telling me about the offering that it would have been a uh, uh, something that was definitely more appealing to the millennials or gen yeah. z's as you no, say but yeah I was I was shocked um, and it still shocks me to this day like one of our um, you know heavy users is you know uh, people who are like portfolio analysts investment directors mm. um, who else product specialists so typically I, and I think it's because honestly I think it was because there was really no easy so solution for them to um, create video content for work purposes mm. so it, it would have to hire a professional agency or get a videographer in or figure out how to operate a really technical uh, camera, which is just, um, it, it's just too cumbersome. Mm. So, mm. so this way, you know, the, the mobile phone ended up as a really approachable way to start getting into video content. Yeah. For yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, and so I think just finally, uh, have you got any tips for other people who might be interested in uh, setting up a business somewhere mm -hmm. across Asia? Uh, any tips or suggestions on what they might need to think about? Yeah. Don't quit your day job. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, what do you mean by that? <laughs> so, so, okay. So let me, <laughs> let me frame that a little bit. So, what I mean by that is two things. One is it's really difficult. So um, it's really difficult. Therefore, if you are able to try something out on the side while you have a day job, then that would actually be the most risk averse and a smart way to go about it. Um, so if you have that opportunity, then try to do it up until you can't. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's actually how I got into entrepreneurship. Um, I didn't just go full out immediately. So it, it, it was a process uh, I, and I did have corporate jobs and I did have different, you know, um, proper, I guess, quote unquote, proper jobs yep, yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> before I ventured uh, into entrepreneurship. And uh, I tried and up until I was sure that there was an idea that I could put a hundred percent of my effort in um, that you know could make money, et cetera. I didn't really quit my day job. Right. Um, so that gives, I guess, a little bit of a cushion, but also um, it, it helps with uh, level out the, 
the sense of confidence because sometimes it gets really scary now. And I know that people who are real, real crazy entrepreneurs won't listen to that anyway. Um, so, so that's how, you know, right. So that's how, you know, if you don't listen to that piece of advice, then, you know, you're definitely made for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But look, I, I would absolutely agree with that. You know, I, when I started, I, uh, you know, I, I was blessed with a long, uh, a long period of uh, notice when after resigning from my previous role before I yeah. then, then started uh, my own thing. And so, you know, it was great for the company that I was working for because I was able to extend a little bit longer while, the, so it was good for them. They had, you know, someone still filling the role while I was getting my stuff organized and it meant that when I finished I was ready to go the following week. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, look, I'm thankful for that now that I look back and see actually everything that you think, every, you know, no matter how long you think things are going to take, it always takes much longer. Oh, yes. Five <laughs> so, times longer, right? Yeah. And five times harder. No, yeah. for sure. So, and I think actually for a lot of entrepreneurs who are a little bit, um, not really older, but like not fresh graduates, right? So mm. I think it's a smart way to go about it because, um, just having, you know, a day job just gives you a little bit more clarity sometimes. Because uh, a lot of the times, you know, if you uh, quit all of a sudden without a fully formed idea, or you're not really sure what to do next, then that could lead you to making decisions that are not um, ideal, mm. right? So, um, which doesn't help you as a person, but also it doesn't help the business. Yeah. So yeah. I think that if, if you know, if anyone is able to do that, then I think that's the best way around it. Not everyone is able to, but if you have that opportunity, then take it. Makes sense. Great. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Ria. It's been a a, a real pleasure speaking with you today. And yeah, I'm excited for you and your business. It sounds like it's really interesting and it has a huge opportunity across the region, particularly as we see, you know, take up for video just increasing exponentially across all markets. Yeah. So uh, really excited for you. Well, thank you. And I'm really excited about this podcast. And uh, it's, it's such an awesome idea. And I think it's absolutely needed. So um, more power Great. for this kind of stuff. <laughs> All right. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jody. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.